We're in Philippians again today, so please turn to Philippians. We're in the book of Philippians. We're in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Let me read it from chapter 1. Maybe I'll read from chapter 1, verse 20 to 26, so we can get a little bit of a gist of what happened last time as well. Paul says, according to my eager expectation, remember Paul was waiting to, to be sentenced, perhaps to death. And it says, and hope, and I will not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ, even now, as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live in, on in my flesh, that will mean fruitful labor for, for me. I do not know which one to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh, it is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Let me just give you a little bit of what we shared so far with the Apostle Paul through this letter, how Paul shared his love and his affections and his yearning to see these believers, the Philippians. He had such a a love for them and they had a love for him and they were in partnership with him for the gospel. We then looked at the Apostle Paul praying for this church, that they will grow spiritually in the knowledge and in discernment, in excelling in their lives, revealing the work of Christ until Christ will come back, that they will glorify Him and that they will pray Him. And that through the affliction, then Paul says, God brought the furtherance of the gospel. While I'm in prison, God brought encouragement to the brethren because of the gospel. And whilst I'm in prison, in his afflictions, God brought rejoicing. And now Paul will begin to share a little bit more insights on how he, whether living or dying, has only one purpose in his life. And this, this morning, brothers and sisters, I pray that you would hear there's only one purpose for any Christian. And what we're going to see is basic Christianity, just the basic Christianity that doesn't get really spoken about much. What we're going to hear this morning is what a Christian life ought to be like. Because there are many, let me share with you, many hindrances in this life that disturbs and even confuses the Christians of what their true meaning in this life really is. And because of these things that I'll explain some of them, some Christians are just lazy and don't move. Or perhaps some are not even Christians and they are delusioned to believe that they're Christians. Some may make their lives in this world chasing just after their children. And they say, this is good because God has given me a gift and that's a child from God. And I must bring up this child in the way of God. And I will say, praise the Lord for that. But your child is never meant to replace the one who gave you the gift. You're meant to live your life still for Christ. Another lives solely for his job. And in his job, he says, I am providing for my family. And I mean, Jesus says, if you don't provide for your family, you've denied the faith. Another says, well, God says, if you're burning in lust, get married. So I'm working so I can actually have marriage one day. So I'm providing for my family. And another just works for the sake of working. 
And these are commendable. Praise God for that. But don't ever forget the one who's providing that for you. God is the one who provides out of his sovereign kindness that you may even have a job. Whether your job is for your family, whether you desire a family, or you're working for yourself, the true purpose in this life, it is not for that. It is for Christ. Some that say, I am a Christian, I belong to the King of Glory. And yet, in their lives, they live for the king of this world. They say, I belong to Christ, while everything they do is of the world. They say, I I belong to the kingdom of heaven. And yet, they're trying to build a kingdom here on earth. They say, hey, I am in Christ. I have a new nature. I'm born again. And all we see is the old nature and no fruit of repentance. They say Jesus died and rose again to give life to me, a dead soul. And all you see is a dead person walking. They come to church. They listen to a sermon. They critique the sermon. And they go home and their life's not changed. Paul has something to say about that. On the basics of Christianity, being born again means that you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old has passed and the new has come. You have been made new. You are alive in God. When God causes a person to be born again, he does not keep them the same. He transforms them. If there was no kids, I will explain to you that if you will put your finger, I won't say what because there are kids around, I am sure you won't be the same. And if the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you, are you going to be the same? What's going to happen to you? You're going to change. This is a life of God within a man. It is supernatural. It is powerful. It is eternal. It removes the hard heart. It gives a heart of flesh and it now receives the things of God. And more than that, you have the Spirit of God who now draws you to love Jesus Christ. That means that believers who are born again will manifest their affection of Christ. There's no exception to the rule. Whatever you love will be manifested in your life. Whatever you pursue, it will be manifested in your life. If we love Christ, our desire ought to be for Him and to live purposefully for Him. Driven by that new birth. At best to some who claim to be born again, Jesus is just a motto. Jesus is just a t-shirt that you buy from Kurong. And on it it says, Jesus saves. Or a sticker that you put in the back of your car with a little fish. That it says, Jesus is coming back. Get ready. Is that, is that Christianity? Let me share something with you. When I was first saved, I had such a, praise God, I had such a hunger for the Word of God, but I didn't know anything. So I went to this church. We won't name the church. Actually, I should name the church, but I won't name the church. I'm not sure. Better not. My wife and I were so excited, the little that we knew. We thought, you know, I'm going to get some insight. I'm going to invite the pastor over. I was so excited. I grabbed my... Bible, I had no idea, MacArthur, Lawson, no idea. Just me and this big, well, not that one, it was a smaller one, the Bible. And I invited this man over. I said, I'm going to get some real spiritual insights on this man. And he comes over, my wife is serving him, is making him something. And he asked the question, he said, you know, so Ralph, you know, what are your hobbies? I'm like, at the moment, I'm full, you know, I'm just, oh, I just want to write Christ. I said, I'll just read the Bible. Well, you guys, you have hobbies? At the moment, I don't care about anything. I just want to read the Bible. Oh, okay. Uh, Pam, how are you feeling? Most of you know my wife is not well. And 
How are you feeling, Pam? How was your back? And my wife, the little that she knew, she answered and said, God is in control. She didn't even understand the word sovereign. So she said, God is in control. I trust him. Do you know what this man answered? Wow. Well, you got to believe in something. This is a pastor of a church. A pastor of a church says to my wife, you have to believe in something. Something is wrong with Christianity. Something is wrong in Christendom. And a church is filled with people in this church that have absolutely no idea how to come to Christ, understand Christ, and live for Christ because you have a pastor who says, you know, I believe in something. Another person that we know will say, that's a great motto, living for Jesus. That's a great philosophy. I'm wondering if the Apostle Paul, who was waiting to, to perhaps be sentenced to death, and on his way there, they say, well, how do you plead? And the Apostle Paul says, well, I've got to believe in something. Unfortunately, I'm believing in this Jesus dude who's going to get my head cut off. Or if Paul just rocked up with a, with a, with a T-shirt on. Jesus loves you. That is not Christianity. That is not Christianity. A Christian's life purpose is not to be driven by philosophy, not something that will mean absolutely nothing if you believe in something apart from Christ, not a motto. If we are Christians, we are meant to make Jesus the epicenter of our lives. I've given a title to our sermon today. Some of you might smirk at this, but I'll put Christ is before it. Christ is the purpose-driven life. Okay? All right, you know, some of you are laughing. I know why. We won't talk about Rick Warren. Oh, oops. Christ is the purpose-driven life. And three things we're going to look at through our text this morning. One, living for Christ. This is a Christian basic. Two, longing for Christ. And three, lingering for the body of Christ. This is your basic Christianity. You live for Christ, you long for Christ, and you serve the body of Christ. So please, now look with me in verse 21 of Philippians. Paul says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. By the way, the is is not in the real original text. This actually reads, for me, is for me, Christ, to die, gain. You go, that doesn't make sense. No, it's emphatic. There's nothing in between that. The, the word is, is added there for us to understand it because it doesn't make sense to us if we say, for me, Jesus. I sound like one of the old tribe, you know, they don't know how to speak in the English. No. But what Paul is saying here is, for me, it is to leave Christ. To glorify Christ, my existence is Jesus Christ. Paul, in his eager expectation, he knows he's going to see Caesar and perhaps be killed. And he says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whether I live or die, Paul is saying, I live for the Lord. And dying is gain and in all of that christ is glorified and christ alone was the driving force the purpose that paul lived this is a purpose-driven life to glorify christ in your life not to build mansions not to be concerned about your work your this and your that and jesus is just sometimes in your house Hey, kids, let's just do prayer. I right, thank you, Jesus, for today. Let's hurry up and eat because I've got to go. That's not living for Christ. That's mocking him. If there was any legacy and any motto or philosophy or anything that Paul would want to leave behind, 
would be leave Christ. Leave Christ. Because Christ was his savior. And he wanted to magnify, glorify, and exalt Christ. And he wanted Jesus to be remembered that way through him. For me to live is Christ. If you don't want to live for Christ, Paul is saying, I will live for Christ. And if you don't want to live for Christ, I love you, but I'm going to live for Christ. I don't care who lives for Christ, but I do care because I want you to live for Christ. Hey, however it is, I am going to live for Christ. For me to live is Christ. In life, it is to live for Christ and to bring him glory. Do you understand that? And life, life means life. Life is active. It's not passive. It does not say for me to live is having a t-shirt. This says Jesus is king. And then for the rest of the week, only God knows what we get up to. No, 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 no. To live is Christ. And that means for us, if we want to bring glory to God, we cannot do it by being a bench warmer, by just reading books and not living purposefully for Christ, just coming in on Sunday and leaving and sometimes say, God bless you. That's my Christianity. God does not care how many Bibles you have at home, how many commentaries, how big your package is in Logos Bible software. If it's $100 or $100,000, if you have a t-shirt that says Jesus loves me, or you've got all the MacArthur's commentaries and his notes and his other notes and the extra notes, God does not care about that. He cares about the glory of his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. And he says, listen to him and follow him. That's basic Christianity, brothers and sisters, that we don't talk about. Basic Christianity is to live Christ. Jesus is not a Christian motto. Jesus is not a t-shirt or something you put in the closet or someone who has him still hanging on the cross. Jesus is the purpose why we're living. That we don't build our heaven here on earth. We build the kingdom of God here on earth. We don't live in his life as if this is it. This ain't it. We live for the next life. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life in now which I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Here's what Paul is not saying. He is not saying if by the sovereignty of God I should be set free, I'm going to go and enjoy life. Just, I'm just going to go and do whatever I want, find all the bargains and get everything and gain more possessions, get bigger home, get a greater job, excel in life, maybe buy Kurong. Then I can have all the T-shirts that says Jesus on it. No, Paul says for me to live is Christ. It is Christ. To live is Christ. Let's understand something, these brothers and sisters. It is not merely to say, I am a Christian. That is not living for Christ. They're just saying that you're a Christian. No. What Paul meant by this is that if I am to live, I am devoted in my life to live for Christ as a Christian. Think of what's happening to this man. He's in prison. He's got all these problems. Perhaps he can't go to the toilet without guards sitting to him or shower, chained to him. 
Amen. If God lets me out of this mess, I'm going to leave Christ. And we could sit and think, man, first thing I will do, probably have a good shower, go in a nice bed with a nice pillow. I can't wait. If God lets me, I'm going to leave Christ. And Paul today would have been looked at a man who was so crazy and narrow-minded. This dude can't talk to him. You can't tell him anything. He just doesn't listen to anything else. He's just a stupidly narrow-minded Paul. He's like a horse who, who you put the blinders on them so they can stay focused on the race. Paul, I'm over here. And Paul goes, I can't hear you. So narrow-minded. Why was Paul like that? I'll tell you what happened with Paul. When Paul was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus, when the Lord Jesus himself revealed himself to him and blinded him, when Paul saw the glory of God, it was at that point when God allowed him to enter into the narrow gate, when Paul says, put the blinders on from here to eternity because all that matters to me is to live Christ. That's the Apostle Paul. He was committed to live one life here on earth. I've only got one life, and it is to live Christ. It means a whole lot more than philosophy, right? To live Christ or to have a T-shirt. It's okay to have a T-shirt that says Jesus loves you, all right? It's okay to wear a cross around your neck. It's okay. But that's not what it means to live for Christ. Sadly, unfortunately, I want to share this with you. I know this point is a bit longer because it's got to make sense. People think, and they look at the scriptures, I'm so glad, by the way, you're learning hermeneutics, all right? Because a lot of people say, well, that's Paul. That's not me, right? I mean, Ralph, you keep saying Paul. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying Paul wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which means God said, right? But that's just for Paul. Well, I want to put this to bed for a minute. So we know that this is not just for Paul to live for Christ and to die his gain. It is for all Christians. Because the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 and 8, you can turn there, but I'll read it for you. And you tell me what this same Apostle is saying. For not one of us lives for himself. Would that include you? Would that include the church that he was talking to? And not die for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Do you see that? First point, your basic Christianity. You want to examine, am I living for Christ? Or am I a part-time Christian? You know, Sunday, every now and then, I say shalom, peace to you, grazie in Italian. I don't know other languages. Is that Christianity? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he says he actively lives. And that brings us to the second point. Paul is living Christ, right? He's living Christ. We know that we spoke about this last time. He lives Christ, breathes Christ. You cut Paul and you don't see Bible. You see Jesus come out of Paul. That's how much he loved the Lord. Second point is this same apostle who lives for Christ. Oh, he's longing for Christ. Read with me verse 21 and, and 22, maybe 23 as well, but I'll break it down for you. For me to live is Christ, but guess what? To die is gain. To die is gain. But if I am to live in the flesh, there will be much fruit, you know, means a lot of labor. But I don't know which one to choose, Paul says. I don't know which one to choose. What do I choose? Let me explain really quickly. It's not that Paul himself had the ability to choose to die or not. That's not what he's saying. 
He's going to explain it to us. He's got this dilemma that he wants to be with the Lord. And yet, he loves to talk about the Lord. Paul has a dilemma. Why? He says, I am hard pressed between two directions. That word hard pressed speaks of someone being in such a narrow path, a valley. And I am stuck and there are two walls here. And I have been pulled like a black hole on this side and another on the other side. I don't know which one to choose. I'm just stuck in the middle like this. I love this. But this is gain. Oh, how I, I love this. Verse 23 says, but this is much better. I'm hard pressed. I don't know which one to choose. I want you to imagine this. He's being pulled to preach, to teach, and to live Christ. And he's being pulled by being with Christ. Think of the impact that we could have as a church and as individuals if we totally lived with Christ, for Christ, and being pulled in both directions. One, I want to be with Christ, and the other says, I want to live Christ. I love both. But then he says, I desire to be with him. I actually desire to be with him. I want to share something really quickly. Paul is not saying I am stuck and pulled in two directions like to be with Jesus, I've got to be on this planet Earth. So I've got to be, I'm stuck between the two or between good and evil. I'm stuck between uh, sinning and being with Jesus. No, he's not. He's saying I'm stuck between doing something amazing and great that I love doing with something greater that I'm going to do for eternity. And he says, I desire this. Christians, you're meant to desire to be with the Lord. You're meant to long for Christ. We are meant to have such a yearning, such a passion, such a hunger for Jesus to return. Our ambitions in life ought to be for the next life. Not for here. Verse 23 says, I'm hard pressed from both directions. I have this deep emotional desire to depart and be with Christ. Man, when's the last time you said, I just want to go and be with the Lord? And if that's the last time you said it, I'm pretty convinced. I'm not a prophet. That you said it when you were really, really, really in distress. That's it. I've had enough. I just want to go home. Right? If anyone should have said it in that way, it should have been Paul. But he says, no. If God sets me free, I will live for him. But I have a desire to depart and be with him. Now, the Greek word there, to depart, is used in so many different ways. And I love this. I want to explain it to you. One is used for a prisoner to be, the word means to be loosened, to untie. It's one of the first Greek words I learned in college. It means to untie, to undo something. Well, what's Paul saying? Well, it's used to unchain and set free a prisoner who is bound. And so that prisoner who is bound, he is unchained. Depart. That's the word you would use. And it kind of fits there because the apostle Paul's in chain, right? To depart and be with the Lord. It's also used for soldiers who will camp. And when they camp, they will put their tents down and with the rope, they will tie their tents. They did their business. Then they take the rope off, loosen it, take it off and depart. But this word, is also used for a ship when it comes into a dock to stay there, right? It is a rope that is tied so the ship does not move. And so the sailors get off and they do what they got to do. They get some refreshments. They get new hats. I don't know what sailors actually do. And they go on land for a little while. They know that the ship is taken off in due time. 
and at a proper time, it's loosened and they go back into the sea. Now, what's Paul saying here? Think about it. Paul is saying, I am at the moment docked. I'm actually docked on planet Earth. And whilst I'm docked, whilst I'm allowed to be on this Earth, before I'm loosened to go, I will live Christ. I am going to live for Christ. As a sailor knows that it's only a stop-off, Paul knows this is just a stop-off. It's only a matter of time when the sailors will get back on the ship and they'll go out to sea. Now, if you know much about sailors, if you've ever spoken to someone who's lived at sea, I have. They love the sea. In actual fact, they hate the land. To them, it's just a stopover. And once they get onto this, to this ship, they're in heaven. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I cannot wait to be loosened. While I'm temporary living here, I cannot wait for this rope to be untied and for me to sail into the hands of my Savior. What a wonderful picture. What a wonderful picture. To die is gain. To die is gain when my rope is loosened and I'm on that ship, man. I'm saying, ciao, ciao. See you later. I'm going. I want to go. I can't wait for God to take this off. But right now, he's holding it there. And if he's holding it there, then I'm on this land. Guess what I must do? Live for Christ. And he says, to die is gain because I will be with Christ. And the word with means alongside of Jesus in fellowship with him. I love it. I'm going to be with Christ in the presence of Christ. So to die, Paul is saying, it is very much better. It's better to die than to live. Suicidal man. He's crazy. Right? No. If we love Christ, we live Christ. And if we love Christ, we long to be with Christ. For me, to die is gain. It's very much better for me to die. If God would have Paul still be here on earth, Paul would not waste a moment knowing that it's only temporal until God loosens the rope, and Paul takes off and he departs and be with Christ. Paul's ticket for that ship was bought and purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And in due time, at the proper time, the Lord will set him free and the Apostle Paul will sail all the way to the celestial city. What a wonderful truth we have. Paul is always encouraging the believers, as we've seen. He's saying, listen, don't worry about me. Don't, don't, don't think so much about me, because for me to live is Christ, and in actual fact, to die is gain. Uh, these people who think they're going to kill me, in actual fact, you know what they're doing? They're going to promote me to glory. They don't know it, but they have no power over me. God is the one who's going to loosen that rope, and I'll be in glory with Christ. What does that mean to have better gain? It's much better to die as soon as death will come to Paul. He will be immediately translated into the presence of Christ. He will enter the eternal kingdom of God. He will be holding the face of Jesus Christ to his, his complete glory. He will be in fellowship with Christ. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Absent from the body, it is to be at home with the Lord. You know, what is much better to die to Paul? I've made it home. I'm home. Lord, I'm home. Here I am, Lord. I've made it to my final destination. Paul will be in the presence of his holy God the lover of his soul, the Christ whom he longed to see, yearned to see him. Paul is saying, when I am loosened from this world, I am going to sail into the eternal glory where Christ will be my anchor for eternity and I shall never be moved. Amen. Right? 
That is very much better. Paul, if I'm here, I'm just going to live for Christ. But for me to die is gain. I will be released from these guards. There'd be no more pressure, no more annoying people, no more dwelling sin, no more fears, no more pain. No longer I have to see Jesus' impartiality through his word. Dying to Paul was not a demotion. It was a promotion. Death to believers ought not to be feared. It ought to be longed for. Not suicidally, right? You ought to long for Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Paul. He loves Christ so much that he longs to be with him forever. Paul is saying, I will not only live for Christ, preach Christ, exalt Christ, suffer for Christ, but just like a sailor who's ready for a ship, I am ready to be with him. We must be ready. When's the last time you said, man, I long to be with Jesus. I want to be with him. I desire to be with him because it's much better than his shirt. It's much better than the cooler that goes up and down. It's much better than my job, much better than my kids, much better than the husband and the wife or my neighbor. It is way, way better. Paul's longing for Christ is what every Christian ought to do. Live for Christ and long for him. But then we have another little thing, dilemma with Paul, which brings us to the third point. Lingering for the bride of Christ. This is very, very crucial for those of you, please, I beg of you, who are members in this church, to listen to what Paul says. Look at verse 22a and 24 and to 26. Yet, Paul says, after he says all these things, yet to remain in the flesh, it is more Necessary for your sake. Whose sake? The church. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you, with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith. So that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you. Again. Paul, now he moves to explain a little bit more why he really believes this is a personal conviction that God is going to actually keep him there. And Paul, he's saying, I will forfeit the greatest thing, the greatest of greatness, I will forfeit so that, because this is more necessary for you. For himself, we don't read that, do we? He does not say that God is going to leave me behind so that I can build my own kingdom on earth. He does not. He says, God, I am convinced of this, that God will leave me behind for your sake. And we're going to see what that sake looks like. What is Paul talking about? Verse 22, it will mean fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. It doesn't mean living for himself, working for himself, poor relaxing. It doesn't mean have a family, build bonds. It does not mean that when I get out of this prison, I'm just going to be a different person. Paul says, it's for your sake. Sadly, people also say, while I am not Paul. You know, I mean, who can do what Paul did? I'm pretty sure Paul was just a human being. He's called by God to write scriptures, to be an apostle. We'll never be that. But he was weak like us. So let me, let me just share with you that if we're saying it's just the apostle that brings forth this fruit, well, a few sermons ago we 
spoke about Paul praying for the church and from verse 9 in chapter 1 to verse 11. And in verse 11, it says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. And that means those fruit are not just Paul's. They are for the whole church. Jesus himself said in chapter 15 of John, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. So the fruit is not just for the apostles. It is for the whole church. And apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, you have to be a Christian and and that fruit bearing will come because Jesus is dwelling in you. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and I will gather them and cast them into a fire that is burned. In other words, where there is no Christian fruit bearing, there is no Christ. You're not a Christian. Right? I mean, that's what Jesus said. Jesus also went on to say in chapter 15 of John, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and by that fruit bearing, prove to be my disciples. So when we see John saying, for me, it means fruitful labor, it's not just John. It's every Christian. It's not just for John. It's for me and you. We are to live for Christ, long for him, and serve him in the body of Christ where you belong. That's what we read here. Nevertheless, Paul says, for me to remain, in other words, for me to keep on living, because there's a present active indicative verb, which means I'm going to continue to do this, it is more necessary for you. What is this fruit? Preach the gospel. Build the body of Christ. Call unbelievers to repentance. Love the brethren. Show them Christ. Bring peace among the brethren. Be patient with the brethren. Bring goodness to the brethren. Be kind to the brethren. What's that fruit within the body of Christ? Have self-control and live a crucified life. Live a crucified life. Labor means work. Right? Work is not bad. God created it in the Garden of Eden before the fall. He said, here, everything. Work. Right? Let's not get confused. Oh, well, if I do works, that means I'm working for my salvation. No. No. God says, for you, if you're a believer, He actually has prepared good works for you to walk in them. And work means that you put your sleeves up. And you get your hands dirty. A work means that you are not passive. You are purposefully, intentionally, and sacrificially putting yourself under the brethren. And we've spoken about that, how Jesus revealed that love and that service when he himself became so low and he actually washed the apostles' feet. Paul's desire is to be unchained from the God, unchained from this world, and to be with Christ. He doesn't want to be under house arrest. I'm actually convinced of it. I wouldn't. But yet, he says, for me to stay here is for you, my brothers and sisters. What a wonderful truth. It's better for me to stay here and to build up the body of Christ. This is Christianity. Better. I am convinced that God will allow me to stay here so that I will remain with you and you will have more joy, grow in your faith. What great confidence you have. The problem is with Christendom. The problem is not so much how can I give my life away to this church. How can I serve this church? I don't know what my gift is, but how can I serve this church? I love these people. Warts and all, ugly and all, tall, short, wide, Chinese, doesn't matter, Italian, 
Egyptians, Aussies. This is where God has suddenly put me. How am I going to serve them? Because if you're saying, brother, I'm longing to see Jesus, are you saying you're longing to see Jesus because you can't wait to get away from these people? Because if you are living, let me tell you, when you go home to be with Jesus, if you are indeed a Christian, these people, they're going to be up there. So if you go there before them, then you tell Jesus, kick them out. We must live for one another. Paul says, I would rather be still in his earthly tent so that I will serve faithfully the body of Christ. The body of Christ. For me to stay, it is for your progress. And that word progress, we looked at it last time when Paul said that him being in prison, it was for the progress of the gospel. In other words, his imprisonment furthered the gospel. And now he's saying, my freedom if I come will further your faith. What a, what a man of God. What a, what a man of God. And we need to understand that the progress and joy, they do go hand in hand. Why is this important to know? Because the progress means you are growing in faith. And faith produces joy. So if you're saying, I am growing in faith, I'm at home and I read MacArthur. Yep, I read all of his commentary. I've done all of the studies. I've done all the biblical counseling. Yep, here I am. Ralph, what's wrong? Nothing. There is no joy. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And if a person is continuously joyful, just like, and you ask him any verses, something is wrong. But if I'm truly growing in the faith, through faith, because Paul says, it's the faith that gives you this, I will joyfully, actively, lovingly, sacrificially, I don't know how else to say this, serve my brothers and sisters. And Paul says, how do I do? I'm going to help you. I want to help you. I want to help you. I want to help you so that you will have joy. Paul goes, I've got it. I just want to give it to you. I want you to grow in his joy. How do we cultivate this? How do we progress in our faith? You must, first and foremost, be a Christian. You must know Christ personally. You must be born again because everything else that you do apart from your new nature, you are just doing dead works. And it means absolutely nothing to God. They are filthy rags to Him. Your first protocol, you must be born again. You must trust in Jesus Christ alone. And then when you do, you learn from Christ. You learn His Word. That's how you cultivate. That's how you grow. You live for Christ in the body of Christ. Listen, serving the brethren encourages you even all the more to live for Christ and to live the true meaning of a purpose-driven life. Christ is that object of faith. You must read the Word of God. You must know the Word of God. And then you must live by the Word of God. So what's the ultimate purpose? I love the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 26. I know people looking at me, maybe I'm running out of time. There is no time until rapture. Just to let you know. Time doesn't exist in heaven. So I can go until Jesus comes back. We could come back today. Look at verse 26. Here's what Paul says. I'll read 25 again. Convinced of this, I know, and that I will remain and continue. He's the reason why I'm going to continue for your progress and joy in the faith. He's the reason. Now, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now, I want to read to you really what the original says. Your Bible will say this, by the way, in, in a specific way, this way. This is kind of a bit strange when you read this. You can sort of misunderstand what Paul is saying. I'm going to read you the original text, how it reads in Greek. Paul says, so that, this is the reason, 
that your boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me. So Christ is at the front. So in other words, when Paul says, you may boast in Christ Jesus in me, what's he saying? You're going to boast in Lord Jesus Christ through what I'm doing and through my coming to you again. Does that make sense? Because that's a bit, it's all right, but I just thought, I don't want to confuse you. The boasting is not in Paul, it's in Christ Jesus, but because Paul was living Christ, it was revealed through him. Paul is saying, I'm lingering back for your sake. I'm staying back that you will grow in the knowledge of Christ Jesus, in your service, in faith for the brethren, and you become joyful. That the glory of Christ will be revealed in you. That you will give glory to God in what I'm doing and in being set free. So Paul has revealed to us this morning just the basics of Christianity. This is, this, is a, this is the purpose-driven life. You live for Christ. You long for Christ. And if you die, you're in a better place. Pretty convinced, or else we wouldn't be talking here, right? But if God is still keeping you here, what are you going to do about it? Because according to Scripture, you are meant to Bear fruit. You're meant to work. You're meant to work, not for your salvation, but because you're saved. If you are truly saved, then I can say I am boasting in Christ Jesus in you because I see it. I am boasting in Christ Jesus in you because I see it. Do you understand that? So how can we apply this? Let me give you a couple of things. Really simple. Really simple. How is your life? Are you living for Christ? In everything that we've spoken of, are you living for Jesus? Do you give Jesus glory and worship in all that you do? Or is Jesus to you just a savior? And at best, all you know is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, that's a wonderful verse, by the way. I will preach on it one day. But, but your life is still the same. And all you're trying to do is find joy everywhere and anywhere. but living for Christ. And at best, you wear a T-shirt with John 3.16 on it. And your car has a fish on it. And when you go out to places, you say to people, hi, how are you going? My name is such and such. Oh, what do you do on weekends? I just go to church. Good. Ten years later, you still haven't preached the gospel. You still haven't shared anything with him. So I'm living for Jesus. How were you living for Jesus? I told him I was a Christian. I go to church. I'm, I don't see that in Scripture. What drives your life? What is your purpose in life? What is it? Is it to satisfy your own needs? Your own selfishness? Are you narrow-minded? Because I pray to God that you will become narrow-minded for Christ and Christ alone. Not prideful, narrow-minded, but boasting in Jesus Christ alone. When was the last time, as I said even through the sermon, I said, man, it is so much better to be with Christ. It is so much better. I'm longing for him to come back. Are you one of those people who's building his little kingdom here on earth and he's saying to Jesus, ah, I can't wait till you come back. But you can hang on a sec. Can I, just, can I just fulfill my stuff first? Can I go on my holiday? Can I purchase another house? Can I go and milk the cow and, and feed the kids first and build another little barn? Well, I'm done. All right, Jesus, time for you to come. Or are you willing to say everything that I have is rubbish 
For Paul says in Philippians, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. I've counted everything as rubbish. I want to ask you, are you actually a passenger on this ship that's awaiting the rope to be untied so we can actually be going to the celestial city? Are you a passenger as Christ bought you by his blood? Or are you just a spectator? You know about it. You heard all the sermons week in and week out. And all you do is hey, it's pretty good. That ship looks really good. I see this guy on there. Oh, he's on there. He's, he's joyful. He's waiting for the rope to come off. And you're still on the land and you still haven't jumped on. You're still not there. You're looking at it. And you're enjoying even what they're enjoying in part, in, you know, in part. But you're not on it. What does that mean? It means to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And when he gives you that, now that you're living on land, you see for the very first time that this ship is going into eternity. And it's going to go to Christ, and I happen to have a ticket. And it's not for Wally, what's his name? With a, Willy Wonka with a chocolate factory. This is a golden ticket that takes you all the way to heaven, and it's only purchased through Jesus Christ. Get on the ship, people. And then when it's loosed, you will say, Oh, wait, wow. But I want to share something with you, my unbelieving friends. Because let me tell you something. When Paul says, for me to die is gain, you know what the unbelievers say? I've been there. Death can't be much worse than this hell. Right? And an unbeliever thinks that even if he will commit suicide, he's going to be at peace. No, no. There's no gain for you. If you die without Christ, you will gain something, but you will gain the wrath of God for rejecting his son who actually was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb who took that. But there are things that can actually hinder us. What is it? What can hinder us to be God the way God wants us? So I'll tell you what it is. Earthly comforts hinder us to live for Christ long for Christ, and live for Christ. Time. We say, I've got to make time to read the Bible, and it's always last. I've got a time to, to serve the brethren, and I'll just make them soup, and I'll give it to them. It's always time. Sometimes it's money. We don't know where, what to do with it. Pride. Selfishness. Let me encourage you, though, my brothers and sisters. First, those of you who do not know Christ, I pray for you that you will repent. Because if God loosens your rope right now, it will be the worst thing for you. You will not gain anything but the wrath of God, eternal hellfire in the deepest darkness. And God's anger will be poured out upon you. But for my brothers and sisters, if you see a brother, in this church, who is a member, who is struggling in his life, can you remind him that he's only docked here for a little while? Please remind him. Remind him this is not, this is not our final resting place. If you see a brother who's struggling, is working too much for the things of this world, kindly and with love and with your heart for them, just remind him that Rust is going to destroy it and moth is going to eat it to work for the things of heaven. If someone is burdened with a family member, or an unbelieving family member, job, whatever it is, get beside them and remind them that one day the Lord will loosen that rope for them and they will go to eternal glory. If someone is living in this world as if it is 
forever. Please remind them. They will die one day, but it will be gain, so that they may live their lives for Jesus Christ. Christ is worth us living for. Christ is worth for us to continuously long for. Christ is worth for us to serve his wonderful bride. This is Christ's purpose-driven life. Amen. Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you. Thank you for the day that you've given us, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray that your word that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword has come into our hearts to remind us, Lord God, what a cost. What a cost, God, that we may have life in him, that we will live purposefully in this life with one thing in mind, Christ, and that we will live purposefully, Lord God, longing for Jesus Christ, for it is so much better. And yet, Father, you have chosen to leave us here even for another day. May we live it for the bride of Christ, for your glory. Amen.